Our scripture reading today comes from Luke's Gospel, chapter 22. Uh, We'll be looking at verses 47 to 53. Last week, in the passage just before this one, we saw and heard the prayer of Jesus. And sustained by prayer, Jesus was faithful for a few hours more. But this is the beginning. This is the beginning of Jesus' passion, where his betrayer shows up. But in this passage, we see the hope that you and I build our lives upon. And so let's come to hear the word of the Lord together. Luke 22, verses 47 through 53. While Jesus was still speaking, there came a crowd. And the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Let's pray as we come to hear the word of the Lord. Father, We don't have ears to hear unless you give them to us. We don't have eyes to see unless you take away our blindness. And so, Father, we come to you asking you to pour out your Holy Spirit on us, to give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to believe in our Lord Jesus. Father, we need you to do this because we can't do it ourselves. And so we pray that you would, in his precious name, amen. From boardrooms to classrooms, from child rearing to foreign policy, agendas are always in play. Simply put, agendas are the things that we want to accomplish. It may sound like we want to see 6% growth this year, or we have got to get that kid potty trained. (laughs) But we all have things that we want to see done. And it might be spoken out loud, it might be unconsciously followed, but we all have agendas. And we see Jesus' agenda here in this passage. It shines brightly against the three dark agendas that surround him. So in order to help us better understand Jesus' plan, let's first consider these three mini scenes that reveal three dark agendas in this passage. First, we're going to look at Judas' agenda. Betraying Jesus to serve himself. Second, we're going to look at the disciples' agenda. Protecting Jesus by taking matters into their own hands. 
Third, we're going to see the crowd's agenda of silencing Jesus through violence. First, look at verses 47 to 48 and look at Judas's agenda. Judas is about betraying Jesus to serve himself. Now, Judas, as we learn in the rest of the Gospels, has always served himself. In John's Gospel, he tells us Judas was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. We saw Judas's, Judas's selfish agenda when he made a deal just a few verses before this. He made a deal with the religious leaders to betray Jesus for money. And here Judas reveals, he shows his love of self in the way that he betrays Judas, uh, Jesus with a kiss. Now, the darkness of the night here in the Garden of Gethsemane would have made it difficult to identify Jesus among his disciples. And so Judas needed a sign, a signal to identify the Lord. But by identifying Jesus with a kiss, one pastor writes that Judas excels the rest in the appearance of affection. When he appears to be deeply grieved at being separated from his master. With a kiss, Judas quite literally plays lip service, pays lip service to Jesus, putting on a show of respect while secretly just doing whatever he wants. Judas here is the very definition of hypocrisy. But, John Calvin writes, it was at the same time astonishing madness to attempt to conceal himself by frivolous hypocrisy when he came into the presence of the Son of God. Because in verse 48, look, Jesus sees right through him and reveals Judas's agenda. And isn't it a comforting thought to know that Jesus knows who belongs to him and who is false? It's comforting because it still happens today that some put on a show of respect and love for Jesus while really concealing their intention to do whatever they want to do. Whether it's the televangelist who invokes the name of Jesus to get a new Gulfstream jet, or the businessman who loves going to church because it functions as his own personal LinkedIn account. For such a person, Jesus is merely a means to an end, not the end in and of himself. Jesus is kissed, but only to get what is really wanted, a comfortable life or the feeling of being well-connected. It is still possible to pretend to love Jesus, to honor Jesus, while secretly serving one's own goals and agenda. But we also have to recognize that there are more subtle forms of such betrayal of Jesus. It can look like a pastor who preaches faithful sermons, but secretly loves the praise of men. His lips praise Jesus, but functionally he's serving himself. It can also look like praying your desires to Jesus, but then becoming mad when he doesn't answer them the way that you want. Another pastor said it well, if you say, I believe in God, I trusted God, but he didn't come through, 
you only trusted God to meet your agenda. Now, maybe today you're coming to Jesus with your own agenda. Using Jesus to get what you really want, a reputation as a pious, church-going person, the respect of people because of the position you hold in the church. Like Judas, we may still kiss Jesus with our lips while our hearts truly love something else. Judas was willing to betray Jesus for just a few pieces of money. And sin renders us capable of betraying Jesus for far less. We who are Jesus' disciples must always be on guard against hypocritical self-service. But at the same time, God's people need to understand that this evil betrayal Jesus endures is something that Jesus' church is always going to face. There will always be traitors in the fold, false followers, wolves in sheep's clothing who say that they love Jesus, yet secretly love themselves. But that reality does not have to cause us distress. By facing what Jesus himself faced with us here in the church today, as one pastor notes, the Lord intends to try our faith in both ways. When from outside, Satan opposes us, opposes the church by open enemies. And from the inside, he attempts Secret destruction by means of hypocrites. But our faith doesn't need to be shaken by such dark agendas of betrayers within the church because ultimately their agendas cannot succeed against the Lord or his church. Even here on this night in the garden, wasn't the predetermined plan of God accomplished? Didn't Jesus's agenda ultimately succeed? Faith Faith allows us to cling to Jesus, knowing that his agenda to rescue his sheep can never be thwarted. From Judah's self-serving agenda, I want us to look next at verses 49 through the first part of 51. We want to look at the disciples' agenda. They're protecting Jesus by taking matters into their own hands. In verse 49, the disciples realize what is about to happen. So they ask the question, Lord, should we strike with the sword? It must have been a rhetorical question because they don't wait for Jesus to reply. Just immediately, one of the disciples grabs his sword and he strikes the servant of the high priest and cuts off his ear. Now, it's tempting for us to romanticize this thinking it's kind of a David and Goliath situation, because really, we know that the disciples don't really have a hope of winning here. It's tempting to romanticize this. We might think it noble, even. But Jesus' words show us the truth. He says, no more of this. Now, swords had been a topic of conversation earlier, back up in verses 36 and 38. Back then, Jesus had told his disciples that one who has no sword should sell his cloak and buy one. And then the disciples produce two swords and Jesus replies, it is enough. A couple of weeks ago, Philip mentioned that there are different ways that Jesus's words can be understood. Maybe the swords Jesus was referring to were literal swords. 
Or maybe they were metaphorical swords representing how Jesus' followers were going to face a new hostility in the time following Jesus' death and resurrection. But the disciples' actions here actually illustrate my point. Whatever Jesus might have meant by his instructions to obtain swords, whatever he might have meant is eclipsed by the disciples' assumption that they knew what he meant. Because the disciples assume they know what must be right, they take matters into their own hands to protect Jesus from arrest and what would follow. But in doing so, his followers actually set themselves against Jesus' agenda. By taking matters into our own hands, we may actually set ourselves against Jesus' agenda. Now, we don't believe that the disciples were only pretending to love Jesus like Judas was. That's a major difference. And it's true, ultimately speaking, that the disciples welcomed Jesus' agenda as the rescuer sent by God. But in their actions, what they are rejecting is the idea that God's agenda would be advanced through suffering. They're rejecting the idea that God's agenda would be advanced through suffering. Because Jesus had told them several times already in the, at this point in Luke's gospel. He said in Luke chapter 9, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Theologians call the difference between the disciples' thinking and Jesus' thinking a theology of glory, that's the disciples, versus a theology of the cross, that's Jesus. A theology of glory assumes that God's plan for His people is everything sunny all the time. And in its crudest form, it sounds like the prosperity gospel. It sounds like your best life now. But a theology of glory shows up in much more subtle forms, like when Christians assume that God's plan is for His people to be in control of the government or the Supreme Court. Now, please don't misunderstand. I pray for our government and our courts to rule righteously. I pray for the values of God's kingdom to be expressed here and now. But I do not assume that God only works according to what we define as good. Let me say it this way. Do you think that the Apostle Paul hung his hopes on the functions of the Roman government? Do you think that Paul hung his hopes on which Caesar was sitting on the throne? No, Paul's was a theology of the cross. Because he followed a Savior whose life was shaped by a movement of suffering, then exaltation. And Paul had learned that the pattern of Jesus' life must be the pattern of our lives too. Suffering, then exaltation. But here the disciples have not yet learned God's purpose for suffering. And so they take matters into their own hands. 
and blood spills on the ground. And Peter's action there of taking matters into his own hand, one pastor writes, it is again evident that we are much more courageous and ready for fighting than we are for bearing the cross. And therefore, we always need to consider wisely what the Lord commands and what he requires from every one of us. Only that, listening to the Lord, will keep our zeal from going beyond the bounds of reason. This teaches us that for believers today, for those who love the Lord today, for us to take matters into our own hands is profound disobedience to God. Sure, we can make it sound like we're pious by saying that we prayed about it. After all, wasn't their question to Jesus a prayer when they asked the Lord, should we strike with the sword? But prayer, prayer that assumes its own answer and doesn't listen carefully for God's wisdom can hardly be called true prayer. Then and now, fighting for Jesus according to our own earthly ways, it looks zealous and it looks noble, but Jesus says, no more of this. No more hanging your hopes on which political party is in charge. No more fighting against evil with evil. Jesus' way is not the way of the sword. It's not heavy-handed action. His is the way of loving his enemies, of healing them with his touch, of serving them. His is the way of the cross. And so... To be faithful on this night, his disciples would have done far better to keep their hands by their side and do nothing to hinder this crowd. In the same way today, there may be times when true faith might look like inaction. Inaction. Doing nothing. It looks like patiently enduring the Father's will, looking to him to do all that he has promised in his word. God, give us wisdom to know what to do. You may love the Lord this day. I believe that you do. But maybe you've also been taking matters into your own hands, in your marriage, in your family, in this world that we live in. And it's possible that by taking matters into your hands, you've been profoundly disobedient, sincere in your actions, but sincerely wrong. And there's blood on the ground in your marriage and in your family. Yes, Jesus can heal all that we destroy. He healed that servant's ear and he is still faithful like that. But should we who love Jesus sin so boldly, just so that his grace might abound, may it never be. Instead, we need to be those who are repenting of taking matters into our own hands, fixing things according to our limited wisdom in our own broken ways. And instead, we need to learn to listen to the Lord, watching him in his word, learning that suffering is the way of Jesus and the way of all who would follow him. I would say if in your life you feel like you have taken matters into your own hands and there is a mess because of it, 
I would remind you that you not only have the word of the Lord, but you also have your brothers and sisters in the church. You have the elders, the people that God has given to you to help you in your life, to help you sort through the mess that your own hands have made. Avail yourself of all of the grace and all of the help that He has given to you. You are not alone. He is with you. We are with you to help you sort it out. And so we've seen Judas's selfish agenda. We've seen the disciples' misguided agenda and the bloody consequence. But I want you to consider this. What should have happened? What should have happened when Jesus healed what Peter had destroyed? When Jesus put that ear back on that man, the crowd should have believed. But they don't. And here we see this third dark agenda in this story. Look at verses 52 and 53. Here we see the crowd's agenda. They mean to silence Jesus through violence. Earlier in Luke's gospel, we're told how the chief priest and the scribes were seeking how to put Jesus to death. We see that back in Luke 22. This dark storm has actually been brewing now for years, reaching back to chapter 5, years earlier when Jesus had told a man that his sins were forgiven. The Pharisees then asked, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They and all of these religious leaders hated Jesus because they view him as somebody who is in their way, stealing their followers, threatening their place in the world. And so silencing Jesus and his dangerous teaching was their agenda. In this moment, on this night, Jesus challenges their cowardice. As he says to him, I was with you day after day in the temple. You did not lay hand on me. He's saying, look, I'm no revolutionary hiding in the hills, hatching plots. He's openly taught day by day. But Jesus, as much as he's challenging their cowardice, he also recognizes the time. Did you hear what he said? He says, now it's night. And this is their hour and the power of darkness. When Jesus says this is their hour, one pastor suggests he means that the Lord grants them this liberty for a short time. For this moment, they're going to get to have their way. God is going to give Jesus into their hands. And it seems like they were proud of themselves in this moment. Surely they were doing this because they believed that they were the faithful ones pleasing God by silencing Jesus. But Jesus adds that not only is this their hour, but also the hour belonging to the power of darkness. This power of darkness speaks to the power of the devil. And by pointing to Satan's dark power, Jesus shows that no matter how proud the Pharisees, these religious leaders, were of themselves, they are still nothing more than slaves of the devil. Today, you understand, most people are fine with Jesus until he challenges the things in our lives that are deeply wrong. 
Then that old agenda is seen and people want to silence Jesus, often today by seeking to silence his people. Because they see Jesus as someone standing in their way, he's a threat to personal autonomy, personal power. And so they come to Jesus and his people with an agenda of violence, meaning to silence. We see it around the world in the church today as the people of God face violence, like in North Korea, where reports slip out of Christians having their tongues cut out for speaking the word of Christ. But in Jesus' day and ours, the harder they press, the louder God speaks, because it is through the suffering of his people, that the truth of the gospel is confirmed. As we ourselves, in our own ways, our people seek to silence us because we speak the word of Christ. You need to understand that when the persecution comes, as you share in the sufferings of Christ, as they seek to silence you, Know that as you continue enduring in the faith with your eyes fixed on Jesus, the truth of Christ will be revealed in you. The crucified and risen Lord will be seen in his people who prefer even the silence of death. Death with him to life apart from him. However it is that we come to Jesus, with whatever agenda we come at him, this passage helps us to see how all three of these ways are tied to the power of darkness that was at work on that night long ago. This passage tells us that there is a way of coming to Jesus that looks sincere, but is full of self. There is a way of coming to Jesus that seems zealous and noble, but is deeply sinful, deeply dishonoring to Christ. And there is still a way of coming to Jesus that is driven by hatred. But, but the good news for people who come to Jesus with their own dark agendas is that the Lord betrayed by Judas, the Lord dishonored by his disciples, the Lord taken away by violence, has his own agenda. He is the Lord who heals. Look again at the second part of verse 51. Like a teacher who uses his student's failure to help him truly understand the lesson, Jesus reminds us of his agenda once again by picking up that bloody ear and restoring it. It is in the healing of the servant's ear that Jesus points us toward what he came to do in fulfillment of the agenda he first revealed in Luke 4, when he says God sent him full of the Spirit to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And this is how he will do it by passing through all of this darkness so that he could deliver us out of it, healing us. Jesus calls us to remember that this has been his agenda all along. When in verse 48, he refers to himself as the Son of Man. Several times in Luke's gospel, Jesus uses that phrase 
to help his disciples understand what he came to do. We already read one from Luke 9. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus also said, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. This reminds us that even on this night of darkness, Jesus knows what is about to happen. That through all this darkness, Jesus is accomplishing God's great agenda of restoring the kingdom of God and the reclaiming of his people lost in sin and darkness. Through all of this, Jesus comes to loving his enemies. He comes to die so that we might live with him. He came to be betrayed by a friend so that we might be accepted by the Father. He came for disciples who did and do dishonor him in many ways. Because the Father was not willing to let you go without his love and honor. This Jesus came to suffer violence and to lay silent in a grave so that your lips might be opened in true love and praise to the Lord for his steadfast love. Can you see then? Can you see in Jesus the love and the kindness of God? Because here Jesus is, just as he prayed, willingly drinking the cup that the Father gave to him, fulfilling God's word that said, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. In this healing of the servants here, Jesus shows us his agenda. He'll overcome his enemies, not with the sword, but with the cross. He'll reclaim his kingdom, not with violence, but by suffering violence. Not as a revolutionary, but as a slaughtered lamb. Jesus will heal his sin-wounded people by receiving wounds in his own body and soul. And so you and I may approach Jesus with our own agendas, but the gospel tells us Jesus came to us with his own. Because whatever darkness is in us, the free offer of the gospel is that Jesus suffered to heal us and to bring us out of darkness. This is the beauty of Jesus. His love being freely given to the most undeserving. If we grasp something of Jesus' beauty here and we cling to him, if we find healing for our wounds within his wounded hands and feet and side, then you and I today, we need to be prepared to take up Jesus' agenda and use his methods of accomplishing it as our own. Because with his ultimate agenda of making all things new, he leads us, he leads all of his people to follow him in his agenda. And he means for us to do it in new, righteous ways. And so we are called to repent of being readier to fight than to die. We need to repent of going beyond what Christ says just because it seems like a good idea to us. 
We renounce power grabbing and scheming agendas in our relationships and in this world and clinging to Christ. We pursue new obedience to Him, taking up our true weapons, prayer, and love for our enemies. Following Jesus, we work for the healing of our families. We work for the healing of this town, pointing people toward Christ the healer who loves and serves even people who have abused him in the past. Just consider the way that knowing Jesus better transforms the Apostle Peter, the one who strikes a servant's ear, taking matters in his own hand to protect Jesus, is the same Apostle who in 1 Peter will encourage believers to submit to a government that even persecutes them. But the only way that we can begin to lay down our agendas and follow Jesus in His is to return again and again to these hours of darkness that culminate in the darkness that hung over Jesus Himself as He hung on a cross for us. Because in Him, in His suffering, we see the beauty of God's agenda that far surpasses any, any beauty of our own. And it's right in front of you today that you see the sign and the confirmation of God's agenda to save you through the suffering of His Son. Here is the assurance that by His wounds you are healed. As you come to Jesus in faith, He tells you, He shows you that it's safe for you to lay down your own agendas and to cling to Him. And so, church, lift up your hearts. Look, Christ has died for you. Here is the Savior who heals you, and He now invites you to His table to come and to eat and drink in faith, relying on His promise that He has passed through the darkness to bring you to His light. And so this meal is for all who have repented of sin and believed in the Lord Jesus, repenting of our fixation on this life and setting our hope on Him only. So this isn't Trinity's table. This isn't our denomination's table. It is the Lord's table. It's for all who have been baptized into Jesus and have publicly joined themselves to His church. If that's not you right now, I want to encourage you. I want you to know for certain that we're glad that you're here with us today. But I want you to know, too, that the Lord himself would, would, says that it would be better for you simply to let these elements pass by if you aren't believing in him. It's no small thing to take from him without trusting in him. But instead, let me encourage you to simply as the bread and cup go by, ask yourself, if this Jesus, who so willingly gives himself to his enemies, offers grace to others, does he offer it to me too? Let's pray as we come to the Lord's meal. Gracious Father, you free us from our broken agendas, and in their place you give us Jesus. And so now, Father, we turn 
to receive Christ again. We marvel that he is so full of grace toward his enemies, toward his people, his disciples that just don't understand. We marvel that for us he willingly drank the wine of your wrath down to the dregs. We marvel that Jesus yielded to darkness so that we might enjoy your light. We praise you, Father, that you raised Jesus up from the dead and you have raised us up with him. We praise you, O oh God, that your agenda to save a people for yourself is as unstoppable as your love is never ending. We would take up your agenda, O oh God. And so let us live every day in the light of Christ until he comes, working for the healing of this world and the sin-broken people around us. Father, toward that end, we pray that your Spirit now would set apart these elements for our benefit, so that we, as we eat and drink the body and blood of our Savior by faith, our souls would be strengthened to stand firm against the darkness until Christ comes. This we ask to the praise of your glorious grace, O God, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.